Chapter Four of the Lion's Skin by Raphael Sabatini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Green. There was a quick patter of feet, the rustle of a hooped petticoat, and the lady was in the arms of my lord Ostermore. Forgive me, my lord, she was crying. Oh, forgive me. I was a little fool, and I have been punished enough already. To Mr. Carroll this was a surprising development. The earl, whose arms seemed to have opened readily enough to receive her, was patting her soothingly upon the shoulder. Pish! What's this? What's this? He grumbled. Yet his voice, Mr. Carroll noticed, was, if anything, kindly. But it must be confessed that it was a dull, gruff voice seldom indicating any shade of emotion unless as sometimes happened it was raised in anger he was frowning now upon his son over the girl's head his bushy grizzled brows contracted mr carroll observed and with what interest you should well imagine that lord ostermore was still in a general way a handsome man of a good height but slightly excessive bulk he had a face that still retained a fair shape short-necked florid and plethoric he had the air of the man who seldom makes a long illness at the end his eyes were very blue and the lids were puffed and heavy whilst the mouth mr carroll remarked in a critical detached spirit was stupid rather than sensuous he made his survey swiftly and the result left him wondering meanwhile the earl was addressing his son whose hand was being bandaged by gaskell there was little variety in his invective you villain he bawled at him you damned villain then he patted the girl's head you found the scoundrel out before you married him said he i am glad on it glad on it tis such a reversing of the usual order of things that it calls for wonder said mr carroll eh quoth his lordship who the devil are you one of his friends your lordship overwhelms me said mr carroll gravely making a bow he observed the bewilderment in ostermore's eyes and began to realize at that early stage of their acquaintance that to speak ironically to the earl of ostermore was not to speak at all it was hortensia a very tearful hortensia now who explained this gentleman saved me my lord she said saved you quoth he dully how did he come to save you he discovered the parson she explained the earl looked more and more bewildered just so said mr carroll it was my privilege to discover that the parson is no parson the parson is no parson echoed his lordship scowling more and more then what the devil is the parson hortensia freed herself from his protecting arms he is a villain she said who was hired by my lord rotherby to come here and pretend to be a parson her eyes flamed her cheeks were scarlet 
God help me for a fool, my lord, to have put my faith in that man. Oh, she choked, the shame, the burning shame of it. I would I had a brother to punish him. Lord Ostermore was crimson, too, with indignation. Mr. Carroll was relieved to see that he was capable of so much emotion. Did I not warn you against him, Hortensia? said he. Could you not have trusted that I knew him, I, his father, to my everlasting shame? Then he swung upon Rotherby. You dog, he began, and there, being a man of little invention, words failed him, and wrath alone remained, very intense, but entirely inarticulate. Rotherby moved forward till he reached the table, then stood leaning upon it, scowling at the company from under his black brows. "'Tis your lordship alone is to blame for this,' he informed his father with a vain pretense at composure. "'I am to blame?' gurgled his lordship, veins swelling at his brow. "'I am to blame that you should have carried her off thus?' by god had you meant to marry her honestly and fittingly i might find it in my heart to forgive you but to practise such villainy to attempt to put this foul trick upon the child mr carroll thought for an instant of another child whose child he was and a passion of angry mockery at the forgetfulness of age welled up from the bitter soul of him outwardly he remained a very mirror for placidity your lordship had threatened to disinherit me if i married her said rotherby twas to save her from you ostermore explained entirely unnecessarily and you thought to to by god sir i marvel you have the courage to confront me i marvel take me away my lord Hortensia begged him, touching his arm. Ay, we were best away, said the earl, drawing her to him. Then he flung a hand out at Rotherby in a gesture of repudiation, of anathema. But tis not the end on't for you, you knave. What I threatened, I will perform. I'll disinherit you. Not a penny of mine shall come to you. Ye shall starve for aught I care starve and and the world be well rid of a villain i i disown you you're no son of mine i'll take oath you're no son of mine mr carroll thought that on the contrary rotherby was very much his father's son and he added to his observations upon human nature the reflection that sinners are oddly blessed with short memories he was entirely dispassionate again by now as for rotherby he received his father's anger with a scornful smile and a curling lip you'll disinherit me quoth he in mockery and of what pray if report speaks true you'll be needing to inherit something yourself to bear you through your present straightness he shrugged and produced his snuff-box with an offensive simulation of nonchalance you cannot cut the entail he reminded his almost apoplectic sire 
and took snuff delicately sauntering window words cut the entail the entail cried the earl and laughed in a manner that seemed to bode no good have you ever troubled to ascertain what it amounts to you fool it wouldn't keep you in 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 snuff lord rotherby halted in his stride half turned and looked at his father over his shoulder the sneering mask was wiped from his face which became blank my lord he began the earl waved a silencing hand and turned with dignity to hortensia come child said he then he remembered something gad he exclaimed i had forgot the parson i'll have him jailed i'll have him hanged if the law will help me come forth man ignoring the invitation mr jenkins scuttled rat-like across the room mounted the window-seat and was gone in a flash through the open window he dropped plump upon mr green who was crouching underneath the pair rolled over together in the mould of a flower-bed then mr green clutched mr jenkins and mr jenkins squealed like a trapped rabbit mr green thrust his fist carefully into the mock parson's mouth sh you blubbering fool he snapped in his ear my business is not with you lie still within the room all stood at gaze following the sudden flight of mr jenkins then lord ostermore made as if to approach the window but hortensia restrained him let the wretch go she said the blame is not his what is he but my lord's tool and her eyes scorched rotherby with such a glance of scorn as must have killed any but a shameless man then turning to the demurely observant gentleman who had done her such good service mr carroll she said i want to thank you i want my lord here to thank you mr carroll bowed to her i beg that you will not think of it said he it is i who will remain in your debt is your name carroll sir quoth the earl he had a trick of fastening upon the inconsequent though that was scarcely the case now that my lord is my name i believe i have the honour of sharing it with your lordship you'll belong to some younger branch of the family the earl supposed like enough some outlying branch answered the imperturbable carroll a jest which only himself could appreciate and that bitterly and how came you into this rotherby sneered audibly in self-mockery no doubt as he came to reflect that it was he himself had had him fetched they needed another witness said mr carroll and hearing there was at the inn a gentleman newly crossed from france his lordship no doubt opined that a traveller here to-day and gone for good to-morrow would be just the witness that he needed for the business he proposed that circumstance aroused my suspicions and but the earl as usual seemed to have fastened upon the minor point although again it was not so 
"'You are newly crossed from France?' said he. "'Ay, and your name is the same as mine. "'Twas what I was advised.' Mr. Carroll flashed a sidelong glance at Rotherby, who had turned to stare at his father, and in his heart he cursed the stupidity of my Lord Ostermore. If this proposed to be a member of a conspiracy, heaven help that same conspiracy. "'Were you, by any chance, going to seek me in town, Mr. Carroll?' Mr. Carroll suppressed a desire to laugh, here was a way to deal with state secrets i my lord he inquired with an assumed air of surprise the earl looked at him and from him to rotherby bethought himself and started so overtly that rotherby's eyes grew narrow the lines of his mouth tightened nay uh, of course not of course not he blustered clumsily but rotherby laughed aloud ha now what a plague is all this mystery he inquired a mystery quoth my lord what mystery should there be tis what i would fain be informed he answered in a voice that showed he meant to gain the information he sauntered forward towards carroll his eye playing mockingly over this gentleman from france now sir said he whose messenger may you be eh what's all this rather be the earl interrupted in a voice intended to be compelling come away mr carroll he added quickly i'll not have any gentleman who has shown himself a friend to my ward here affronted by that rascal come away sir not so fast not so fast ecod it was another voice that broke in upon them rotherby started round gaskell in the shadows of the cowled fireplace jumped in sheer alarm all stared at the window whence the voice proceeded they beheld a plump chubby-faced little man astride the sill a pistol displayed with ostentation in his hand mr carroll was the only one with the presence of mind to welcome him Ha said he smiling engagingly my little friend the brewer of ale let no one leave this room said mr green with a great dignity then with rather less dignity he whistled shrilly through his fingers and got down lightly into the room sir blustered the earl this is an intrusion an impertinence what do you want the pipers this gentleman carries said mr green indicating carroll with the hand that held the pistol the earl looked alarmed which was foolish in him thought mr carroll rotherby covered his mouth with his hand after the fashion of one who masks a smile you're rightly served for meddling said he with relish out with them the chubby man demanded you gain nothing by resistance so don't be obstinate now i could be nothing so discourteous said mr carroll would it be prying on my part to inquire what may be your interest in my papers his serenity lessened the earl's anxieties but bewildered him 
and it took the edge off the malicious pleasure which rotherby was beginning to experience i am obeying the orders of my lord carteret the secretary of state said mr green i was to watch for a gentleman from france with letters for my lord ostermore he had a messenger a week ago to tell him to look for such a visitor he took the messenger if you must know and well we induced him to tell us what was the message he had carried there is so much mystery in all this that my lord carteret desires more knowledge on the subject i think you are the gentleman i am looking for mr carroll looked him over with an amused eye and laughed <laughs> it distresses me said he to see so much good thought wasted mr green was abashed a moment but he recovered quickly no doubt he had met the cool type before come come said he no blustering out with your papers my fine fellow the door opened and a couple of men came in over their shoulders ere the door closed again mr carroll had a glimpse of the landlady's rosy face alarm in her glance the newcomers were dirty rogues tip staves recognizable at a glance one of them wore a ragged bob wig the cast-off no doubt of some gentleman's gentleman fished out of the sixpenny tub in rosemary lane it was ill-fitting and wisps of the fellow's own unkempt hair hung out in places the other wore no wig at all his yellow thatch fell in streaks from under his shabby hat which he had the ill manners to retain until lord ostermore knocked it from his head with a blow of his cane both were fierily bottle-nosed and neither appeared to have shaved for a week or so now quoth mr green will you hand them over of your own accord or must i have you searched and a wave of his hand towards the advancing myrmidons indicated the searchers you go too far sir blustered the earl ay surely put in mr carroll you are mad to think a gentleman is to submit to being searched by any knave that comes to him with a cock-and-bull tale about the secretary of state mr green leered again and produced a paper there said he is my lord carteret's warrant signed and sealed mr carroll glanced over it with a disdainful eye it is in blank said he just so agreed mr green carte blanche as you shy over the water if you insist he offered obligingly i'll fill in your name before we proceed mr carroll shrugged his shoulders it might be well said he if you are to search me at all mr green advanced to the table the writing implements provided for the wedding were still there he took up a pen scrawled a name across the blank dusted it with sand and presented it again to mr carroll the latter nodded i'll not trouble you to search me said he i would as soon not have these noblemen of yours for my valets he thrust his hands into the pockets of his fine coat and brought forth several papers these he proffered to mr green who took them between satisfaction and amazement 
Ostermore stared, too stricken for words at this meek surrender, and well was it for Mr. Carroll that he was so stricken, for had he spoken he had assuredly betrayed himself. Hortensia, Mr. Carroll observed, watched his cowardly yielding with an eye of stern contempt. Rotherby looked on with a dark face that betrayed nothing. Meanwhile, Mr. Green was running through the papers, and as fast as he ran through them, he permitted himself certain comments that passed for humor with his followers. There could be no doubt that in his own social stratum, Mr. Green must have been accounted something of a wag. Huh, what's this? A bill, a bill for snuff. My Lord Carteret'll snuff you, sir. He'll tobacco you, he cod. He'll smoke you first and snuff you afterwards. He flung the bill aside. Phew, he whistled. Verses to Theocritus upon sailing for Albion. That's mighty choice. Do you write verses, sir? Heyday, tis an occupation to which I have succumbed in moments of weakness. I crave your indulgence, Mr. Green. Mr. Green perceived that here was a weak attempt at irony, and went on with his investigations. He came to the last of the papers Mr. Carroll had handed him, glanced at it, swore coarsely, and dropped it. Do you think you can bubble me? he cried, red in the face. Lord Ostermore heaved a sigh of relief. The hard look had faded from Hortensia's eyes. What is it you mean, giving me this rubbish? I offer you my excuses for the contents of my pockets, said Mr. Carroll. You see, I did not expect to be honored by your inquisition. Had I but known... Mr. Green struck an attitude. Now attend to me, sir. I am a servant of His Majesty's government. His Majesty's government cannot be sufficiently congratulated, said Mr. Carroll, the irrepressible. Mr. Green banged the table. Are you rallying me, Ecod? You have upset the ink, Mr. Carroll pointed out to him. Damn the ink, swore the spy, and damn you for a tom of bedlam. I ask you again, what do you mean? Given me this rubbish. You asked me to turn out my pockets. I asked you for the letter you brought, Lord Ostermore. I am sorry, said Mr. Carroll, and eyed the other sympathetically. I am sorry to disappoint you. But then you assumed too much when you assumed that I had such a letter. I have obliged you to the fullest extent in my power. I do not think you show a becoming gratitude. Mr. Green eyed him blankly a moment, then exploded. I caught, sir, you are cool. It is a condition we do not appear to share. Do you say you've brought his lordship no letter from France? thundered the spy. What else have you come to England for? To study manners, sir, said Mr. Carroll, bowing that was the last drop in the cup of mr green's endurance he waved his men towards the gentleman from france find it 
he bade them shortly. Mr. Carroll drew himself up with a great dignity, and waved the bailiff's back, his white face set, an unpleasant glimmer in his eyes. "'A moment,' he cried. "'You have no authority to go to such extremes. I make no objection to being searched, but every objection to being soiled, and I'll not have the fingers of these scavengers about my person.' "'And you are right, ye God!' cried Lord Ostermore, advancing. "'Harky, you dirty spy! This is no way to deal with gentlemen. Be off now, and take your carrion crows with you, or I'll have my grooms in with their whips to you.' "'To me!' roared Green. "'I represent the Secretary of State.' "'You'll represent a side of raw venison if you tarry here,' the Earl promised him. Do you dare look me in the eye? Do you dare, you rogue? Do you know who I am? And don't wag that pistol, my fine fellow. Be off now. Away with you. Mr. Green looked his name. The rosiness was all departed from his cheeks. He quivered with suppressed wrath. If I go, given way to constraint, what shall you say to my Lord Carteret? he asked. What concern may that be of yours, sirrah? It will be some concern of yours, my lord. Mr. Carroll interposed. The knave is right, said he. It were to implicate your lordship. It were to give color to his silly suspicions. Let him make his search. But be so good as to summon my valet. He shall hand you my garments, that you may do your will upon them. But unless you justify yourself by finding the letter you are seeking, you shall have to reckon with the consequences of discomposing a gentleman for nothing. Now, sir, is it a bargain? Mr. Green looked him over, and if he was shaken by the calm assurance of Mr. Carroll's tone and manner, he concealed it very effectively. "'We'll make no bargains,' said he. "'I have my duty to do.' He signed to one of the bailiffs. "'Fetch the gentleman's servant,' said he. "'So be it,' said Mr. Carroll. "'But you take too much upon yourself, sir. Your duty, I think, would have been to arrest me and carry me to Lord Carteret's, there to be searched, if his lordship considered it necessary.' i have no cause to arrest you until i find it mr green snapped impatiently your logic is faultless i am following my lord carteret's orders to the letter i am to effect no arrest until i have positive evidence yet you are detaining me what does this amount to but an arrest Mr. Green disdained to answer. Leduc entered, and Mr. Carroll turned to Lord Ostermore. "'There is no reason why I should detain your lordship,' said he. "'And these operations—the lady—' He waved an expressive hand, bent an expressive eye upon the earl. Lord Ostermore seemed to waver. He was not—he had never been a man to think for others—' But Hortensia cut in before he could reply. "'We will wait,' she said. 
since you are travelling to town, I am sure his lordship will be glad of your company, sir. Mr. Carroll looked deep into those great brown eyes and bowed his thanks. If it will not discompose your lordship. No, no, said Ostermore, gruff of voice and manner. We will wait. I shall be honored, sir, if you will journey with us afterwards. Mr. Carroll bowed again and went to hold the door for them. Mr. Green's eyes keenly alert for an attempt at evasion. But there was none. When his lordship and his ward had departed, Mr. Carroll turned to Rotherby, who had taken a chair, his man Gaskell behind him. He looked from the Viscount to Mr. Green. "'Do we require this gentleman?' he asked the spy. A smile broke over Rotherby's swam face. "'By your leave, sir, I'll remain to see fair play.' you may find me useful mr green i have no cause to wish this marplot well he explained mr carroll turned his back upon him took off his coat and waistcoat he sat down while mr green spread the garments upon the table emptied out the pockets turned down the cuffs ripped up the satin linings he did it in a consummate fashion very thoroughly yet though he parted the linings from the cloth he did so in such a manner as to leave the garments easily repairable mr carroll watched him with interest and appreciation and what time he watched he was wondering might it not be better straightway to place the spy in possession of the letter and thus destroy himself and lord ostermore at the same time and have done with the task on which he was come to england it seemed almost an easy way out of the affair his betrayal of the earl would be less ugly if he himself were to share the consequences of that betrayal then he checked his thoughts what manner of mood was this besides his inclination was all to become better acquainted with this odd family upon which he had stumbled in so extraordinary a manner down in his heart of hearts he had a feeling that the thing he was come to do would never be done leastways not by him it was in vain that he might attempt to steel himself to the task it repelled him it went not with a nature such as his he thought of everard afire with the idea of vengeance and to such an extent that he had succeeded in infecting justin himself with a spark of it he thought of him with pity almost pity that a man should obsess his life by such a phantasm as this same vengeance must have been to him was it worth while was anything worth while he wondered lord rotherby approached the table and took up the garments upon which mr green had finished he turned them over and supplemented mr green's search you're welcome to all that you can find sneered mr green and turned to mr carroll let us have your shoes sir mr carroll removed his shoes in silence and mr green proceeded to examine them in a manner that provoked mr carroll's profound admiration he separated the lining from the spanish leather and probed slowly and carefully in the space between he examined the heels very closely going over to the window for the purpose that done he dropped them your breeches now said he laconically 
meanwhile leduc had taken up the coat and with the needle and thread wherewith he had equipped himself he was industriously restoring the stitches that mr green had taken out mr carroll surrendered his breeches his fine holland shirt went next his stockings and what other trifles he wore until he stood as naked as adam before the fall yet all in vain his garments were restored to him one by one and one by one with leduc's aid he resumed them mr green was looking crestfallen are you satisfied inquired mr carroll pleasantly his good temper inexhaustible the spy looked at him with a moody eye plucking thoughtfully at his lip with thumb and forefinger then he brightened suddenly there's your man said he flashing a quick eye upon leduc who looked up with a quiet smile true said mr carroll and there's my portmantle above stairs and my saddle on my horse in the stables it is even possible for aught you know that there may be a hollow tooth or two in my head pray let your search be thorough mr green considered him again if you had it it would be upon your person yet consider mr carroll begged him holding out his foot that leduc might put on his shoe again i might have supposed that you would suppose that and disposed accordingly you had better investigate to the bitter end mr green's small eyes continued to scrutinize leduc at intervals the valet was a silent serious-faced fellow i'll search your servant leastwise the spy announced by all means leduc i beg that you will place yourself at this interesting gentleman's disposal what time mr carroll unaided now completed the resumption of his garments leduc silent and expressionless submitted to being searched you will observe leduc said mr carroll that we have not come to this country in vain we are undergoing experiences that would be interesting if they were not quite so dull amusing if they entailed less discomfort to ourselves assuredly it was worth while to cross to england to study manners and there are sights for you that you will never see in france you would not for instance had you not come hither had an opportunity of observing a member of the noblesse seconding and assisting a tipstaff in the discharge of his duty and doing it just as a hog wallows in foulness for the love of it the gentlemen in your country leduc are too fastidious to enjoy life as it should be enjoyed they are too prone to adhere to the amusements of their class you have here an opportunity of perceiving how deeply they are mistaken what relish may lie in setting one's rank on one side in forgetting at times that by an accident a sheer incredible accident i assure you leduc one may have been born to a gentleman's estate rotherby had drawn himself up his dark face crimsoning do you talk at me sir 
he demanded. "'Do you dare discuss me with your lackey?' "'But why not, since you search me with my tipstaff? "'If you can perceive a difference, you are too subtle for me, sir.' Rotherby advanced a step, then checked he inherited mental sluggishness from his father you are insolent he charged carol you insult me indeed ha i am working miracles rotherby governed his anger by an effort there was enough between us without this said he there could not be too much between us too much space i mean the viscount looked at him furiously i shall discuss this further with you said he the present is not the time nor place but i shall know where to look for you the duke i am sure will always be pleased to see you he too is studying manners rotherby ignored the insult we shall see then whether you can do anything more than talk i hope that your lordship too is master of other accomplishments as a talker i do not find you very gifted but perhaps the duke will be less exigent than i bah his lordship flung at him and went out cursing him profusely gaskell followed at his master's heels End of chapter 4